Sir? All right. Good morning, everyone. And welcome back to our study of Genesis. We left off having, yeah, on chapter 49 is where we're going to start. Yeah, we're yeah. going to start in the end of 48. Yeah, so... Um, what we saw was, of course, the end of the saga and story of Joseph and his brothers. Uh, as, as that is left off, of course, they're in Egypt and they're all surviving the uh, famine. And not only are they surviving, but they're thriving because they've gotten to pick the choicest land on account of uh, Joseph's favor with the Pharaoh. So they're in the land of Goshen. There's that deal with the they're shepherds, and that's an abomination to the Egyptians. And then you remember all the flocks come in, and so that certainly profits Joseph's family as well. Then we see Jacob, who is also called Israel, and he is the patriarch, of course. He um, blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, who, of course, were born to um, his wife, you know, political marriage, arranged marriage, and she is uh, an Egyptian, of course, and you know the daughter of a priest, um, a pagan priest. So he, it's a big deal that he adopts into his family, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's chapter 48. And then um, that's really where we left off last week. So then Jacob is about to die, and he's going to bless his sons. And that blessing of his sons is also going to have to do not only it's kind of strange because it looks back at their, at their character as individuals and in many respects their character as individuals shapes the future of their descendants and of the various tribes named after them. So that's what we're going to see. We're going to, as we, as we look at Jacob blessing his sons, we're going to be able to look back at specific instances in their lives that then fit his words and then also looking forward to what we know about the various tribes named after them, we're going to see that those characteristics play themselves out. Make sense? Some of it's poetic, so it's hard to figure out. Some of it is actually uh, hard Hebrew, so the English translation is not great. Um, but it's, it's the best we can do. So, then um, chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. So again, there is an obvious prophetic or future element here. Verse 2, Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. So Reuben was born to Jacob, obviously, when Jacob was in his uh, physical prime. And that's reflected here in Reuben's own uh, gifts, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Then look, it shifts, doesn't it? Verse 4, unstable as water. So shifting back and forth. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. So he had just said preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. Now he says, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. You recall that sad tale where uh, Reuben, let me see if I can find the footnote. Yeah, uh, Reuben obviously um, 
slept with his, uh, yeah, slept with Jacob's concubine. Remember that? So the footnote on 49 verses 3 through 4, Luther says this, Reuben should have had the honor of being the firstborn, namely the priesthood and the kingdom, but both are taken from him. And to Levi, the priesthood is given, and to Judah, the kingdom. Okay. So Reuben's blessing, uh, not that great of a blessing. In regard to unstable as water, the, the footnote says he had a weak nature as can be seen in his incest with Bilhah, that was the concubine's name, his failure to rescue Joseph, <coughs> and his craven offer of his sons. You remember that? Um, he put his son's life on the line as opposed to his own uh, in regard to returning to Egypt. So, though the oldest son, and you would think then um, by birth the most significant son, the most significant tribe, uh, Reuben's tribe becomes insignificant, as it largely is in the history of Israel. Okay, we good with Reuben? Next, Simeon and Levi, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Do you remember the... uh, the reference there, they killed Shechem. Right, he raped Dinah, and so they, yeah, they tricked, uh, they tricked Shechem into, um, the, remember the, all the men being circumcised, and then when they're laid up, he went in, they slaughtered them all. Um, so obviously they went way beyond what justice would be. So weapons and, uh, of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. I don't know how we would put that. I don't, in English, maybe we'd say, I don't trust these fellows. You know, they're not just. My sons are not just. Um, Jacob had no, the study note says, Jacob had no part in their decision to slay the Shechemites, and he took no pleasure in it. Okay, so let my soul not come into their counsel. Uh, oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Which the study note points out that they may have literally crippled the oxen when they attacked Shechem. So what would that be like? That'd be like pouring sugar in the gas tanks of your enemy's cars after you killed them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they hamstrung the oxen, so they cut the hamstrings so they were worthless for work then. Um, It could be a symbolic reference to just the the rulers or the rulers might being crippled by their attack, but who knows? So Jacob wanted, you know, he he looked back on this part of their life and he said, that's your character. I want nothing to do with that. Verse seven, cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. See that it's, you know, it's not just, that's the thing. I mean, they're, you know, Dinah was raped. There might have been justice served, but they went way, way beyond that. So he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And that's what happens. The, as the study note points out, Simeon is, uh, the tribe of Simeon is later absorbed into Judah, 
and the tribe of Levi, well, that's the Levitical priesthood, that's scattered throughout all of Israel and the various priestly stations. So um, neither of those tribes are a substantive tribe in and of themselves. So, so it's not going good. We're 0 for 3 here in terms of blessing the sons. Uh, really, all three of these first sons are... I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's too strong to say they're cursed, but the blessing certainly isn't what they'd hope. Let's put it that way. Okay, fourth, Judah. Eight, Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. So, in other words, your brothers shall praise you. That's reminiscent of Joseph. That's reminiscent of you're going to be the ruler, and then your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, that is, to control them. So these are ruling dominant images for Judah, which we can understand because, because Judah is also ultimately going to be the line of King David and the line of Jesus. Yeah, king of the Jews, king of the world. So that's the... You know, it's, it's fascinating here because Judah's own personal sins are largely eclipsed. You know, he had the, um, the incident with Tamar where he went to a prostitute and impreg- ended up impregnating you know, his daughter-in-law, basically, if I have that right. Uh, so there's scandal with him, too. Oh, it, I'm sorry, what was it? Daughter-in-law, that's what I meant. Daughter-in-law, right? Yeah. I said sister-in-law, I think. Daughter-in-law is what it is. Thanks, thanks. It didn't sound right when I was saying it. All right, perfect. So, but it's, you know, it is fascinating here because Judah's, Judah's sins are kind of eclipsed. Judah, your, brother, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That's all good. This is all like the most positive stuff we've heard. Your father's son shall bow down before you. You know, and even when you think of the tribe of Judah... Long after uh, the northern kingdoms, the northern tribes are wiped out by the Assyrians in 722, Judah's still there. And even when Judah is taken captive by Babylon, they return out of exile. And um, though they're occupied by pagan forces all the way up until Christ, they still essentially remain in, in some way, shape, or form Judah. So this is completely true that Judah is in effect the firstborn, the blessed, the one that remains. Um, Verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. Maybe not the best translation, like a young lion in his prime would be maybe a better translation because it's emphasizing the strength. So what they call Jesus the lion of Judah? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So Judah is a lion's cub, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? So he's the, you know, he's the strongest, he's the strength. You can think of the strength of David, that's when, you know, the strength of David and Solomon, that's when the kingdom of Judah is really the world power. You know, in the position that we are in as the United States right now, that's essentially the position that, um, Judah was in on account of King David and, and Solomon. <clears throat> so then 20, the scepter, that is the, the rule or the reign, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And there you can see a pretty, pretty strong messianic prophecy that, you know, because obviously the kingdom of Judah more or less comes to an end, 
but not if it is considered that the great king of Judah is the Lion of Judah, Christ our Lord, and his kingship, his, you know, the scepter does not depart from him, nor the ruler's staff, but all tribute comes to him and the obedience of the peoples. Then further kind of messianic imagery, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, um, that's not something you would do unless it was peace. So you can see a little bit of a juxtaposition between war and peace and like the violence of the lion versus the peace of the vine here. And you can see that even in the person of Christ, that law and gospels, those sides of him. But this is imagery of peace and fertility and enjoyment, binding his uh, foal or his donkey's colt to the choice vine. And you, that language is a reminiscent, isn't it, of a Palm Sunday where he rides on the on the the foal, the colt of a donkey. And he's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. That's messianic too, isn't it? Because Jesus, we know, as he was scourged and as he was beaten and um, right before his crucifixion, then they took his garments off. And obviously those garments would have been stained in blood, right? Um, and of course, the connection with Holy Communion, where he takes the blood of grapes and says, this is my blood. So we have all sorts of poetic allusions here in this imagery. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. I think the study note goes this way with it, that wine and milk are signs of peace and prosperity. But the language is also reminiscent of um, Song of Songs, isn't it? Us, just how those descriptions are. His eyes are as dark as wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So identifying him there with uh, the bridegroom in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Okay, so all positive for Judah. It's hard to see any negative there for Judah. And again, um, he becomes the preeminent. You can see that historically. You can see that messianically. Judah is probably the, the most substantive tribe. Okay, that takes us to verse 13. And the fifth son, Zebulun. Short one. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. And his border shall be at Sidon. And sure enough, that's what happens. Let me see if there's any... Yeah. There's really no other study note on that. Issachar, the sixth, is a strong donkey. <laughs> the study note says, Issachar's image is of a resting donkey lying either between sheepfolds or its saddlebags, implying that Issachar's tribe will not reach its potential and will fall into servitude. So the donkey is a, is a beast of burden. So Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Okay. Then uh, Dan, verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And the study note points out that Samson was from the tribe, and obviously Samson is... uh, a judge. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. 
And the study note says this serpent in the way, this imagery refers to Samson cunningly overthrowing the Philistines. So what's being emphasized there is the cunningness of the serpent, the cunningness of Samson. And how something, you know, a serpent much smaller overthrows that which is much larger. Same when you think of Samson individually over and against the whole of the Philistines. At verse 18, there is a little interjection on the part of Jacob that is not really connected to any of the blessings. He says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So Dan, if my counting is correct, is the seventh. So after the seventh son, he pauses to say, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And the study note says, Jacob's brief prayer for salvation interjected here implies that his salvation is bound up in the future of his sons. Which it is most specifically in the future of Judah, of course. But all of them together as one people. All right, then he continues. uh, Verse 19, Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Gad was on the border of Israel, and it would be the first line of defense against enemy raids. So, being raided and raiding, right? Um, 20, Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher would occupy a fertile area of Canaan, we are told. That's not a bad one if you like food. Uh, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. The study note says this implies that the tribe of Naphtali would have freedom and bear good fruit. And then finally, 22, Joseph. Here we have another very substantive blessing. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring His branches run over the wall. Now, the fruitfulness of Joseph, of course, is going to be Ephraim and Manasseh, concretely, who have been adopted into the family. Um, The archers, verse 23, the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your fathers who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Quite a blessing. And then poor Benjamin. (laughs) After that, Benjamin just gets... Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. In other words, Benjamin's future is going to be characterized by battle and by warriors. King Saul comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, And obviously that was a violent time in the life of Israel. Okay, let's go back to Joseph, since there's so much substance here. Um, In regard to the archers bitterly attacking him, I think the study note takes it in this way, his brother's um, jealous conduct. 
But one can see here in the archers also, you know, I think a type of the principalities and powers of darkness in that God comes to his aid. Uh, Joseph, of course, was attacked in many ways, not only by his brother's betrayal, where he's thrown into the pit, but then he goes into Egypt and he rises in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused. You know, he's punished for doing the right thing. And I mean, there's just all these ups and downs and ups and downs. And so you could see the brothers as the reference, or you could see that he was satanically attacked here as the reference. I both would be correct in their own way. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. That is, his God is my God. From there is, a, is the shepherd. Now you remember that God has been called a shepherd by Jacob once before, and that back in chapter 48, verse 15. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. So now he is saying, he also recognizes that this same God and shepherd has been a God and shepherd to Joseph. Yeah. So in many respects here, I think you see that Joseph is still the favorite, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, Judah's Judah and Judah's great, but here's Joseph. And the, the proximity, I mean, you have all the messianic stuff in Judah, but not explicitly relating to God, at least not nearly as much as it is here. The, the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd. And then here we find another messianic title, the stone of Israel. The rock of stumbling and the stone of offense. It's probably right. You could see a stone as a projectile here in the way of a shepherd hurling his stone at the beast or the way that um, in the ancient world they would even fight with slings and stones, you know, so that you wouldn't have an archer per se with a bow and arrow, but you'd have a bunch of guys throwing stones from a distance. Okay, by the God of your father who will help you, so again, giving him God's provision and blessing. Um, the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. So just all kinds of... Uh, I mean, every kind of blessing. That's the way the study note does. Bountiful agriculture, large families, descendants, riches, power, rivaled only by Judah. And then 26, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Now the study note there says the, the, the perhaps precious stones implying crown or rule uh, and set apart because great leaders will come from Joseph. For example, Joshua, Gideon, Jeroboam. So, you know, that's significant in itself. Yeah, look at it coming down out there. And it's been doing this off and on all day today. We don't want it all at once, do we? No. We want it, but we want it spaced out. Whatever happened to the nice misty rain that you just kind of walk yeah. out in? This is, I mean, that's, like, that's worse than stepping into your shower, I think, yeah. pretty it's much. Damaging. It's damaging. 
Oh yeah, exactly. We have all this Lego, so people that don't plant anything for the root system to get dirt just goes running yeah. right down the street. Yeah. It's too much water and it's true. Well, hopefully we won't have to build an ark. But these neighbor, but these neighborhoods, these flood because of the hills, it comes ripping down the streets. Have you seen it? It's yeah. really incredible. Yeah. And you drive through it, and it's like you know, a foot or two deep in some place. Really yeah. incredible. Oh, well. All right, so then Jacob's done with his blessing. He's blessed the 12 tribes, of course. And, uh, you know, many of those blessings of Joseph go on to um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then in, in 50, um, we have, uh, well, I guess we're not there yet. We're at verse 28, uh, 49. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. When he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Here you glimpse the Old Testament and you know, view of what it means to die, to be gathered to one's people. He doesn't say, as I'm about to go into unconsciousness, you know, as I'm about to disappear forever. Uh, he says, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be gathered to my people. And he says, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. In other words, he's going, they're, they're dwelling in Egypt. He wants to be sent back to Canaan and be buried there. Yeah. Um, Joseph is going to give similar instructions. I'm going, you send me back to Canaan to be buried. So the whole family is buried there in the promised land. As the book of Hebrews says, these died having not received the promise. So they were promised the land, they were promised all of these blessings, and the author of Hebrews says, these died having not received the promises. In other words, what? God has yet to fulfill his promise to them, by extension to us, and that promise will be revealed and made manifest in the new heavens and the new earth. When they're raised in their bodies, we're raised in ours, and he says, here is your promised land. So, yes, but they weren't in slavery yet. That's true. Yeah, they were still, uh, yeah, Pharaoh was still being kind to them. Mm-hmm. In fact, we'll hear in short order how that sort of, uh, well, that is if we go on to Exodus, we'll hear in short order um, how it is that, that that comes to be. Okay, so um, where did I leave off here? That's Canaan, which Abraham brought. Verse 31. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So not only the end of a a very great individual in Jacob, Israel, but also the end of an era because this has been the era of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now that comes to a close. Now the new era will be, in many ways, the 12 tribes. And uh, Israel 
Israel will no longer be an individual per se, but will now be a collective people. And Exodus is really the birth of that collective people, the birth of, of Israel newly constituted. Okay. Verse 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. So here you can see the affection then between Joseph, you know, who is clearly the favorite of Jacob, and you know, Joseph loved him so much as well. All the other boys were still stinging from their insults, except, except for, I'm exaggerating, except for Judah. Um, but Joseph falls on his father's face, weeps over him, kisses him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. If you get into this kind of thing, the study notes all about this. I thought it was a little bizarre. <laughs> um, here we go. Let's see. Uh, study note on chapter 50, verses 1 through 3. Egyptian custom was embalming. Uh, Egyptian custom of embalming involved removal of organs and packing the chest cavity with mixtures of salt, spices, and herbs to prevent decay. Okay. It's all you ever wanted to know about Egyptian embalming. What's that? I don't know. They didn't talk about wrappings. They just, yeah, they just talked about, I have no idea. Maybe it was. It probably would be historically, wouldn't it? You'd think. You'd think. Um, verse 3, 40 days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming, and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Okay. So that was their period of mourning. Um, 70 days are the 40 days of embalming plus 30 days of mourning. The extended time emphasizes the importance of Jacob and of Joseph's family in Egypt. Pharaoh himself received 72 days of mourning. So right next to Pharaoh. Okay. Verse 4, and when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. Obviously, if they mourned for him that long and respected him and his family that much, they would want him to be buried there in Egypt. So Joseph here has to appeal that his father's wishes be carried out and that he not be buried in Egypt, but rather in Canaan. So that's simply the appeal here. Verse 6, And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company." Now, this is kind of a big deal because when you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you think of what little they had come from, you know, a wandering Aramean, essentially a sojourner, a gypsy, a traveler, um, who has 
nothing and slowly over three generations built and built and were built up by God. And now you have, I mean, this huge convoy of the greatest or one of the greatest world powers um, all there honoring in this huge, you know, civil right and festival honoring the death of Jacob. So it's quite the, uh, I don't know how to put it, it's quite the upward mobility or the upward trajectory this family is on, right? That in three generations you would go from no one to celebrated, you know, the world over. If this happened today, it would be at the United States Capitol, it would be, um, you know, all, all, the, all the weeks of of activities and salutes and songs and services, and that's how it would be, and the whole world would know about this. So that would be the equivalent. It's a pretty big deal. And it's, you know, it's a fulfillment of, of God's promise to uh, Abraham and also then Isaac and Jacob. Okay. Verse 10, When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan... They lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. So this is near Jericho. And as the say note says, this implies that the procession approached Israel uh, on a route like the one that the children of Israel would later travel when they approached the promised land. So there's, there's, sort of a, there's a bit of foreshadowing here, or maybe even a touch of irony I mean, all of Egypt is taking and escorting Israel to the promised land. You know, it's, it's not going to be much longer, and Israel's going to be leaving Egypt and going to the promised land around basically the same route. Verse 11, when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim, it is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of, at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They're still feeling guilty, aren't they? Even after, even after Joseph forgave them and everything. But he thought, well, maybe, they thought, well, maybe he just forgave us for the sake of dad. And now that dad's gone, uh, they're gonna, he's going to exact his revenge. Verse 16, So they sent a message to Joseph, <laughs> saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now... Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. You know, it's a beautiful thing because well, we, have, we don't have it recorded that he did this, right? We don't have it recorded that, that Jacob actually said this. So 
it may be that it's just not recorded and this is a legitimate message that they've passed on. What might it also be? Yeah, they made it up. They said, this is what dad wrote. <laughs> but even in that, I mean, even, even in that deceit, there's a little bit of beauty because it's a confession of sin. You know, it's a beautiful confession. They don't make excuses. They say, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. I mean, if they pen that, that's a pretty good confession. What more does God require of us than that we acknowledge our evil and receive his forgiveness? And then they continue, and, and now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God your father. And so, you know, they invoke, they invoke the God who had forgiven uh, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and they invoke, um, you know, his name as well. So Joseph weeps when they, uh, when they spoke this to him. And then verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. You know, very much like the prodigal son again, you know, where he returns and has this mind that he's going to return to his father's house as a servant, not as a son. So they say, behold, we are your servants, we're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So there's, there's just one of the most beautiful lines in, the, in Genesis, maybe one of the most beautiful lines uh, in all of Scripture, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that becomes, of course, so true in the crucifixion of Jesus and in the rejection of humanity, of God in human flesh. Um, and what we meant for evil, we meant to murder him and kill him and inflict maximum harm and cast him out of our world. What we meant for evil, he meant for good. And he used that very thing in order to win for us our redemption, make atonement for our sins, win for us everlasting life with him. So in a nutshell, this, you meant it for evil, but, but God meant it for good. It's the whole Bible. It's law and gospel. It's everything. And then Joseph puts, you know, the practical, uh, brings the practical to bear in this, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. You know, God orchestrated this whole thing and allowed it to, you know, allowed the evil that you did in order to work it for good because if not for Joseph, then he couldn't have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. They couldn't have saved for the seven years against the seven years of famine. And so God, through this act, kept uh, many people alive so that Egypt was able to feed them, including, of course, the brothers themselves. So the connection with food there is interesting too insofar as you see this as a, as a messianic type because you know, Joseph, Joseph was essentially put to death by his brothers um, and God, what they meant for evil, God used for good so that he might feed them and feed the whole world. And that's precisely what Jesus does by coming as the bread of life and um, by, by giving us bread that is his body, wine that is his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins. All right, at any rate, verse 21, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. So Jacob's not going to have them be uh, servants or slaves. Um, he's going to have them uh, well provided for. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So in the end, Joseph's awesome. You know, Early on with the Technicolor dream coat and the telling everybody his dreams and everything else, I don't know, he's a little irritating. At least maybe because I'm an older brother. But... <laughs> By the end, you kind of got to like the guy. He's great. 
and he reflects our Lord Jesus like nobody's business. And he does that um, at the end of the first book of the Bible and at the end of the, of the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As you know, Genesis proceeds, that's really what it becomes about. Okay, so then, last but not least, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a day. Verse 22, So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So we end in a bit, with a bit of a cliffhanger in the sense that, um, you know, Joseph has still got to get to Israel, still got to get to the promised land. So we see the blessing of Jacob over Joseph already coming true in the fruitfulness um, of his line. And then um, he promises them that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. That's the, that's the promise that Moses will come, right? And that's the promise of the Exodus that comes next. And then I love this because after he has said this to them, um, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying the same thing. God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So, in other words, don't forget this. What did I just say? Repeat it. And they all repeat it. And he says, and take me with you. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. The Lord be with you. <laughs>